and welcome to Bible Words. In this series, each week I take a single word which appears in the lectionary readings for that Sunday and explore the use of that word throughout the scriptures. I look at each word as it appears in the original language, so for New Testament words in Greek, for Old Testament words in Hebrew. I hope that by looking at a single word across the scriptures in this way, it will help us all develop a greater sense of the unity of all scripture. This week's Bible word is the Greek verb grapho, which means right. A form of this verb appears four times in the Gospel of the First Sunday of Lent, year A. That's Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And it appears there in the phrase, it has been written, or in the less literal Jerusalem Bible translation that's used in the lectionary, Scripture says. The verb grapho is one of a group of 15 related Greek words, all with meanings related to writing. Many of these words, such as the noun graphe, which means writing, share that same root, graph, and this root is the source for our English words graph, graphic, and graphite. But other words in this grapho group use the slightly different root gram, such as the noun gramma, which means written words or letters, and this latter word is the source of our English word grammar. As with previous episodes of Bible Words, I will consider these grapho and gramma words as a single group, since their meanings are closely related, except where it's necessary to focus on one specific word. In the secular Greek literature of the ancient world, grapho words have a range of meanings. One of the oldest senses is a scrape or a graze, as seen in the Iliad, Book 17, where the sphere of Polyudamos scraped the shoulder bone of Peneleos. It is also used for writing or making marks, and we see this in the Iliad Book 6, where Proetus sends Bellerophon to Lycia with a folded wax tablet in which he wrote, Graphas, tokens or letters which would betray him to his wife's father. The words have other senses of drawing, painting, and engraving, and even of mathematical figures. And grapho words are also applied to legal documents. And tagegramena, literally the writings, is a stock phrase in the Greek literature for written laws. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was produced between the 3rd and 2nd centuries before Christ, grapho words continue some of the meanings established in the secular literature, but also extend those meanings, and particularly in the area of direct revelation by God, who commands his servants to write down his words. So, grapho can refer to Solomon commissioning engravings on the walls of the temple in the first book of Kings, chapter 6, verse 29, and also to letters, grammata, which were stamped like a seal on the headplate of the high priest in Exodus chapter 39, verse 30. And the words of the law were to be carved on large stones in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 3 and 8. This latter episode is just one of a large number of places in the Torah where God's servants, or sometimes God himself, write down the words and commandments of the Lord using grapho verbs. Examples of such writing include Moses in Exodus chapter 24 and also in verse 12, God himself 
on the tablets of stone in Exodus chapter 31 verse 18, and again God himself in Exodus chapter 34 verse 1. The latter is after Moses broke the first pair of tablets. Other servants of God write down a record of laws, for example Samuel in the first book of Samuel chapter 10 verse 25, or some of them write down history as a memorial, as when Moses is ordered to record an account of the rout of Amalek in Exodus chapter 17 verse 14. And Job expresses the wish that his words might be written, graphenai, and thus preserved, that's in Job chapter 19 verse 23. In the Septuagint, the phrase tagegramena, which we heard earlier on in the secular literature, was referring to written laws, is used in the Septuagint to refer to the law of Moses. And we see that in Joshua chapter 23 verse 6 and also in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 14. There are other graphal words that are used to refer to the Torah. Graphe, which means writings, and gegraptai, literally it has been written. And we'll see these words again in the New Testament where they're used there frequently to refer to the scriptures. The prophets are given an explicit order to write down the revelation they receive including the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2, Jeremiah in chapter 30 verse 2 of the book of Jeremiah, and Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1 and chapter 30 verse 8. We'll see later that John is given the same command in the book of Revelation. Jeremiah also talks about writing God's law, but in the new covenant it will be written on the hearts of the people of Israel, that's in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. And this metaphor is an important development in the relationship between Israel and the Lord, because we're moving from just written law to a covenant based on the heart. And as we'll see later, this metaphor is both quoted and extended in the New Testament. A dramatic episode of revelation in writing, involving the writing on the wall, occurs in Daniel chapter 5 where the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote, that's Egraphon, on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace of Belshazzar, that's king of Babylon. And only the prophet Daniel is able to interpret this writing. We see this in Daniel chapter 5, verses 5, 7, 8, 15, 16, 24, and 25. In the New Testament, writing plays a dramatic role in a number of vivid episodes including when the mute Zechariah writes to confirm the name of his son as John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 verse 63, and also Jesus tracing on the ground with his finger in John chapter 8 verse 6. This is the only instance of Jesus writing in the Bible, and he writes on the ground while others challenge him about the fate of the woman caught in adultery. In the Gospels, the Roman state uses writing and written records as an instrument of power, whether they're demanding a census or registration. The Greek word here is apographe, and that's in Luke chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 5. Or they're having an inscription on their coins. The Greek word here is epigraphe, and that's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 20. And also, at Jesus' crucifixion, they display a notice referring to Jesus as King of the Jews, that's Matthew chapter 27 verse 37, and it's in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew letters. This latter detail is only in Luke, that's chapter 23 verse 38, and even that's only in some manuscripts, 
and also in John's Gospel in chapter 19, verse 19. The high priest's objection to this caption is dismissed out of hand by Pilate with the phrase, what I have written, I have written. And the Greek verb there is gegrapha, and that's in John chapter 19, verse 22. Grapho words are frequently used by New Testament authors to describe what they are writing. So in the apostolic letters, grapho words naturally occur many times because these are letters. And so the author, whether it's Paul or Peter or John or even Jude, uses the phrase, I am writing or have written to you. And there are too many examples here to list the references. The authors can also refer to previous correspondence, as when Paul uses the phrase, Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, that's in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 1. And we see fascinating evidence of Paul's using a scribe, when the scribe Tertius, having written down this letter, the Greek verb there is grapsas, amusingly interjects to add his own greetings alongside Paul's. This is in the letter to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 22. Further references to the scribal processes are seen in five instances in Paul's letters. They are second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 17, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 21, the letter to the Colossians, chapter 4, verse 12, and the letter to Philemon, that's verse 19. In each of these letters, Paul calls attention, towards the end of the letter, to statements he has added in his own handwriting, presumably as a form of confirmation that he stands behind the words that have been written, but they may have also had some sort of pastoral purpose. The most poignant instance of this handwriting of Paul's is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, where he says, See in what large letters I have written, egrapsa, to you in my own hand. Grapho words are also used by the evangelists Luke and John to state their purpose in writing their Gospels. So Luke wants to write down, the verb there is grapsai, write down events for Theophilus in an ordered fashion, that's in Luke chapter 1 verse 3. And the evangelist John states that the events that he has recorded have been written, that's gegraptai, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's in John chapter 20, verse 30. And John also makes clear in the next chapter that the disciple who has witnessed these events is the same as the one who has written them down. That's in John chapter 21, verse 24. And this is important because it establishes continuity between the apostolic eyewitness and the written gospel. And the gospels and the letters are not the only writing which communicates God's message in the New Testament. The book of Revelation recalls the prophetic tradition and phrasing of the Hebrew scriptures when the Lord commands John to write what you see in a book, almost identical phrasing to the Septuagint. And that's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 19, and also again in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And on other occasions, the Lord decides to write himself. So, for example, within the messages to the churches of Pergamum and Philadelphia, that's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 12. Or, in another place, signs appear where no human hand has written them, as when the 144,000 appear with the Lord's name written, Gegramanon, on their foreheads in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. And names are enrolled in the book of life in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, and chapter 17, verse 8. And Jesus similarly refers to the disciples' names being written in heaven. That's engegraptai, and that's in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. The New Testament frequently quotes 
the Hebrew Scriptures, so often, in fact, that scholars have identified a series of standard citation formulas using grapho words, and they precede these quotations. Many of these phrases are the same as the ones that were used to refer to the law in the Septuagint. The most common of them is gegraptai, it has been written, and this occurs on 54 occasions in the New Testament, including four times in the exchange between Jesus and Satan in Matthew's account of the temptation, that's Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11, and this, as we said earlier, occurs in the Gospel of the First Sunday of Lent, year A. Jesus successfully rebuffs Satan's fraudulent quoting of Scripture, specifically of Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, by Jesus supplying his own series of references to the broader context of God's authority in the Scriptures, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 8, and each time these quotations are prefaced by gegraptai. John, and to a lesser extent Luke and Acts, prefer the citation formula gegramanon, literally having been written, to refer to the Scriptures. The meaning is essentially the same as gegraptai, the difference is really more one of style. And the word graphe can be used in the plural to refer to the scriptures in general. For example, Jesus' reference to the scriptures being fulfilled in the Emmaus episode in Luke chapter 24, verses 27 and 32, and usually in the singular for specific quotations or implicit references, such as the three occurrences in the latter part of John's Passion narrative, where he refers to the graphe in John chapter 19 verses 28 and verses 36 and verses 37 about the fulfillment of the scriptures. Those who show expertise in the scriptures through their teaching and thinking specifically here of Jesus in John chapter 7 verse 15 and also Paul in Acts chapter 26 verse 24, they can be described as having learning. The Greek word here is grammata, although it is ironic that in both cases where such a reference is made to the learning, it is said by those who show a large degree of scepticism about the true interpretation of Scripture that is being offered to them, so that sadly the learning is not respected nor is attention paid to its message. The situation is reversed in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, where the fact that Peter and John speak eloquently despite being unlearned, the word there is agramatos, is understood as a sign that they had been with Jesus. The principal experts in knowledge of the scriptures were the scribes, and the Greek word for them is grammatios, which is one of our grapho words. But the scribes are, in nearly all cases in the New Testament, regarded rather negatively because of their hypocrisy and their failure to grasp the underlying intention of the Torah. Summary of these criticisms can be found in Jesus' eight woes against them in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 36. The superior teacher is Jesus, who, according to the author of the first letter of Peter, provides an example for us to follow. That's in the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, verse 21. But the word used for example here is a very interesting one. Hupogramon, literally writing under, or a pattern to be traced, is used in the secular literature to describe the lines drawn for a child to learn how to write. So the writer's metaphor in the first letter of Peter is therefore that we should follow along the lines of Christ 
and specifically in the path of suffering that he has already set. And this is a really great example of where the Greek word gives us access to a metaphor that's not really available through the English translation. In a similar vein as the Gospels' criticism of the scribes, and specifically their failure to practice what they preach, the Apostle Paul also makes a distinction between, on the one hand, the written law, which we could never follow adequately through our own efforts, and on the other hand, acting by the Spirit, which enables us to fulfil the demands of the law more completely. And the references here are in Romans chapter 2, verses 27 and 29, in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, and in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Indeed, it's interesting that Paul tends to use the word grammar when he refers to the written law, when he's identifying its limitations, but he tends to use graphe when making more positive references to Scripture. Paul's emphasis in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 7, on the spirit versus the letter, and there he's using the word grammar, that's an exhortation to a more comprehensive, interior approach to fulfilling the law. And this recalls the Lord's intention in the prophet Jeremiah to write the law on people's hearts. And furthermore, this very verse, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, is quoted twice by the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. That's in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 and chapter 10, verse 6. And it's used there to herald the new covenant in Christ's sacrifice, which the letter to the Hebrews sees as the fulfillment of that prophecy of Jeremiah, which frees us from dependence on the written law to instead follow God's will through faith and through God's grace. So, what does all of this mean for us? Well, first, do we take care about our own reading and writing, what we read and write ourselves? Do we choose our own reading carefully and avoid sources that, however diverting, foster and reinforce disunity and conflict, both in the world and in the church? And when we use email or social media, are we careful in our writing to use only words that build up others, as the Apostle advises us in the letter to the Ephesians? Second, do we read the scriptures regularly and use them to know Jesus better and develop a personal relationship with him? Because to know Jesus, we must read the scriptures, for they point to him. As St. Jerome said, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. We need to match the attitude of Jesus' disciples in John chapter 2, verse 22. They believed the scripture and the word he had spoken. And finally, however well we know the words of Scripture, the Spirit is even more than what is written. So, is Christ's word kept only in our minds and in our intellect? Are we still prone to legalism and insisting on the letter, blocking the Spirit? Or, as the Apostle Paul hoped in the second letter to Corinthians, Chapter 3, verse 3. Are we indeed a letter of Christ written in Gegramene on the tablets of our human hearts and known and read by all people? Amen.